Good morning, Life Center. Man, I ain't going to lie because it's in church and all, but I wouldn't anyway. But I never thought they were going to get done singing. I am so excited about getting up here and talking today. <laughs> Worship was amazing. I am just just pumped about this series, this worship series that we're going to get into the next few weeks. I'm just so excited today. There's a lot. God is here. His presence is here. He's blessing us. We're it just, there's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things happening. So in speaking of wonderful things, um, we're actually starting our third service here on March 15th. So two weeks away, we're going to have a 9 a.m., a 1045 in Spanish service at one o'clock. I mean, we're going to be busy. It's exciting. So, so um, what that means is that means that we're creating more space, more opportunities for people to hear about Jesus. That's why we're doing it. So, you know, those people that just cannot, cannot manage to work church in with Ravens football season because it's very challenging, we've now created an option for those people. <laughs> you can come to church and still tailgate. Isn't God good? This is wonderful. So make sure um, that you're going to see stuff on social media. Next week, we're going to have cards for you to pass out. But let's make sure we're inviting telling people about it, you know, share this opportunity, 9 a.m., 1045, 1 o'clock if you speak Spanish. So just a lot of amazing things happening here. So, so I'm excited about that, and make sure that you're sharing the word. It will begin on March the 15th. That will be the first Sunday that we do it. So um, make sure you're telling lots of folks about it. It's going to be exciting. All right, so we're going to dive into worship in this series. And really, what does worship really mean? What does it look like? I think Kind of in our postmodern world, worship is synonymous with stage, lights, smoke machines, uh, cool guys with funny haircuts, and skinny jeans, right? That's worship. <laughs> Guitar playing. All, it's just kind of, I'm just being silly, but there's, a, there's kind of a thing. We, we call it worship music, right? There's, there's a whole thing with that. And, and as a result, I think sometimes maybe we sort of miss what worship really is. It is not relegated to a radio station or a stage. So that's what we're going to kind of dig into. Worship is a very important thing in the scripture. It's mentioned over 162 times in NIV. The, the word worship is. It's very important to our Christian walk, to our pursuing and following Christ. So we're going to find out what this really looks like. And I guess it makes sense to see what Jesus had to say about it since he would know, right? So in Mark uh, chapter 12, someone asked Jesus, you know, what's like the most important commandment that I should follow? And Jesus simply says this, the most important command is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So first off, you got to know who God is. That's the most important thing. You can't just arbitrarily worship things that people think are gods, right? You have to know who God is. So that's the most important thing. The most important commandments, and he says in verse 30, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second most important one is similar. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. And we just finished the love series in February, and we talked about who is your neighbor, right? Do you remember who your neighbor is? Everybody's your neighbor, right? Everyone is our neighbor. So there's another version that said it a little bit differently, and I want to read that to you. It says, you love the Lord like God out of all thy heart, out of thy soul, out of all thine understanding, and out of all thy strength. This is the first command. This this is a picture that Jesus is painting. Now, he doesn't use the word worship in there at all, but when we dig in here a little bit today, you'll understand that is the cornerstone of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
soul, mind, and strength. That is, by definition, we will see what worship really looks like. So what does uh, it actually mean when we say the word worship? The dictionary always solves these problems for us. It means this, reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage or to any object regarded as sacred. To feel an adoring reverence or regard for any person or thing. So you can worship a thing that doesn't have any, it can be just an, an, an it's hard to say, an inanimate, fast. <laughs> you can worship an inanimate object. People do it. So it doesn't have to be a, a person, it can be a thing. The Greek word that was used in the scripture more frequently uh, it, it means this, to kiss the hand, and similar, their word picture is like a dog licking the master's hand, right? Or to bow down, placing your forehead to the ground. So that shows sort of a physical a representation of what the word worship means. How someone would bow down low and put their head on the ground in, in reverence to a deity or someone of great importance. But there's clearly a right and a wrong when it comes to worship. And that's what we're going to try to understand over the next few weeks is how if I'm going to worship and if I'm really going to do what the Jesus says to do, the first greatest commandment is loving him with every part of me, what does true worship look like? And there's a right way and a wrong way. And Jesus was having a, a discussion with a lady at a well. There's a whole story in John that talks about this. The disciples had gone into the city to find food, and Jesus orchestrated this whole event so that he would have this connection, this moment with this lady that comes to the well. He's there. He asks her for some water. She starts having a conversation with him, and Jesus is just digging in, man. He is going to reveal to this person their need for salvation and reveal to them just how big God is everywhere and in every part of, their, uh, of her life. So, so they're discussing this and, and he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about worship and they're having a debate because she's a Samaritan woman. She's not a Jew. And there was conflict between the two. They felt like the Samaritans felt like they had to worship at a certain, uh, certain hill. And then the Jews said the only place you could worship is at the temple. So there's all this conflict. And Jesus is, is addressing these issues. She doesn't realize what's happening, but something pretty major is. And so in John chapter 4, verse 23, he says there's a time coming. And actually, it's already come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For those are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Now, the interesting thing about spirit and truth is we just understand that spirit is the soul or the part of us where the Holy Spirit lives. And, and the truth is, is the mind where intellectual reasoning happens, where, where lies can be separated from truth. That's, so it's interesting that Jesus says you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And right here he says true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Right? You see the connection? You see how it's bolting together? And so all this ties back to that first and greatest commandment. Another version says the same thing, but he says it differently. I love the way it's written. It says, the time is coming, ma'am. Ma'am's in this version of the Bible. It's pretty cool. When we will no longer be concerned about whether to worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. Here's the key. For it's not where we worship that counts, but how we worship. Bing. Right? All of a sudden, the light bulbs start shining, right? It has nothing to do with location, has nothing to do with facility, has nothing to do with what your brand of church is. It has to do with how 
we worship. And if the Father is looking for true worshipers, that means there are untrue worshipers, right? Because he's looking for true worshipers. And he doesn't say anything about where they're doing it. He says how they're going to do it. So this is a major eye-opening moment. And you have to, if you could put yourself in this lady's shoes, she immediately, when, when they're talking about this connection with God, she immediately went to a place that she understood, a place that was wrought with religious tradition, a place that was wrought with segregation, a place that was filled with cold, heartless uh, uh, oppression if you happen to be the person that was not of the right lineage. Right in those days, the Jews got to wear the golden badge that said, we are the chosen people and everybody else is second tier. And so when she's getting this encounter with Jesus and he is basically kicking open the door to say, it really doesn't matter who you are. In fact, pretty soon the Gentiles, us, all of us other people, will be able to be brought into the family just like a Jew. So this was, this was more than just like an aha moment. This was like, you know, mind completely blown. This doesn't make any sense. It goes against everything I was ever taught. I don't even understand how you're going here. Jesus was revealing that there was a change that was coming. He was the change and he was there. You see, true worship, it breaks down the barriers of religious elitism. It opens the door to real and honest communion and connection with our creator. You don't have to have a system to worship. You don't have to have a structure to worship. You don't have to have a list of do's and don'ts to worship. You don't have to brand it at all. All you have to do is know, what's the first thing? Know that there is only one God. And then how you approach that one God is what defines our, that's pretty cool stuff. Right? That's amazing. So Jesus was always dealing with this because he was, he was, he was the, the proverbial sand in the oyster shell to the religious community. He was always irritating, irritating them because things like this, because they had an entire structure and world built around this separation and about rules and, and structure. And he's coming, he's just kind of knocking all the, all the props out from under it. And so they were constantly trying to snare him and trap him. And so a disciple, I mean, uh, one of the religious leaders comes to his group and and they're like, we're going we're gonna to nail him because on the Sabbath, one of his disciples ate some corn and they didn't wash their hands. Dude. I mean, hell just opened up to swallow this dude. Right? Now, what you have to understand is there was 10 commandments that God gave the Jewish people. And then as time progressed, Pastor Scott mentioned this last week. Do you remember the number of fence laws? What? How many? Over 600, they called them fence laws. So you have the Ten Commandments here, right? It's a little bitty box right here. And then way over here, we're starting to create rules so we don't get over there and accidentally break one. So it became this whole system. And so washing your hands and eating on the Sabbath and those kind of things, I mean, you, were just, you just broke a fence law, so therefore, you know, you had lots of stuff you had to do to fix that. So they were like, we're going to get Jesus. Because I've got pictures on my iPhone of this disciple. You know, he didn't wash his hands. There he is eating. Look at that. Can you believe that? <laughs> so Matthew 15, verse 8. I love Jesus is just so on point, man. Just on point. He says, these people say they honor me. He's talking to everybody. And here's Mr. Religious Guy. He's like, I have a question, sir. <laughs> point of order. And he's all, you know, pious. And then he says, these people say they honor me. But their hearts are far away. 
And everybody's like, whoa, this is going to get interesting. And then in verse 9, he really just like brings it home, (laughs) like (laughs) big time. He says, their worship is worthless. Collective gasp. (gasps) For they teach their man-made laws instead of those from God. Remember, we get to read the Bible in in one picture, right? right? Maybe they didn't remember when someone asked the question about the greatest commandment and Jesus told them what the greatest commandment was. Maybe this guy wasn't there for that part, but Jesus tying it all together, right? He's tying it all together. He said their worship is worthless because they're focused on rules and and regulations and things that they've created instead of focusing on their heart towards God because that's where true worship comes from, from our heart to God, not how well we do actions or perform duties. See, worship is different from religious practice. And if you ask God, at least what I see in Scripture is he's more interested in the heart of worship than he is the religious practice. Because people that have evil hearts can practice religion. Oops, I said it out loud. People that practice things like structure and they practice how good they can be can do that and not have any God at all in their heart. Let me just make a statement here. It's bold, it's aggressive, it's harsh. Behavior modification is not Christ living. The heart changing is Christ living. And as a result, when the heart changes, the behavior just naturally follows, right? You can't have a heart filled with love and hate somebody. Not possible. We spent a whole month talking about that, right? So, so Jesus is addressing, addressing the issue. It's a lifestyle. It's not a, a, a series of actions. Worship is a life. It's not uh, things that we accomplish. And there are three forms of worship that I think will help us kind of understand what this means when Jesus said, I need you to love with all your, I need you to, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, everything, all of you. First one is this, inward worship. What is inward worship? Inward worship is the place where uh, it, it's so interwoven into our character and integrity that when no one's around, we still conduct ourselves in a worshipful manner to God. We don't do it because someone's watching. We just do it because God is there. And a heart of worship doesn't need, doesn't need to make sure someone's watching to make sure they're doing it right. right. You can't find loopholes when your heart is filled with worship. You can find loopholes in, in structure, right? But you can't find loopholes when your heart is really beating after God. Because it doesn't matter. If, you don't, if you're feeling like you're not supposed to be doing it, you'll just stop doing it. Because your heart is saying, this isn't connecting with my Savior. This isn't connecting with my Creator. So let's just cut that out because it's not helping me. Right? No one's there to measure it. No one's there to gauge it. No one's there to say yes or no. It's just you and God. Inward worship comes from the heart. It's who we are when no one's around and observing. There's a great story in the Bible, the story of Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers. He gets bought by a guy named Potiphar, who was a very, very influential man in 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 Egypt. Brings the guy in as a slave, literally bought him off the auction block, and Joseph works his way up to the point where he is the right hand of Potiphar. He controls everything in Potiphar's estate. Manages his checkbook, everything. In fact, the scripture says the only thing that was not Joseph's in Potiphar's house was Potiphar's wife. And she was a piece of work. (laughs) Because the Bible says, great story actually, the Bible says that Joseph was a good looking man, He he had it together, he was doing well, and little Miss Potiphar was like, hey, hey. I like this JoJo guy, right? And so she like approaches him. It's like, dude, husband's away for like two months. 
And I love this because Joseph's like, he says this. You can read it in, 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 in the Old Testament, story of Joseph. It's pretty cool. He says to her, he's like, you know what? I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I've been working hard. And uh, clearly it's paying off. Uh, <laughs> he's like, look, I control everything in your husband's house except for you. You're the only thing he hasn't given to me. So we're going to keep it that way. And then he makes a statement. He's like, I can't commit this sin against God. Because inward worship was there. No one was watching. It was just him and Miss Potiphar. One preacher said, Potifier. She was a pot of fire. <laughs> inward worship. The second one is outward worship. And that goes back to the question that we asked a few weeks ago. Who's my neighbor? Mr. Rogers, would you tell us? Everybody is your neighbor. If they're a human created in God's image, guess what? They're your neighbor. You don't get to exclude them if you don't want to help them. You don't get to exclude them if you don't like the way they smell. <laughs> Who is your neighbor? And so Jesus, again, they were trying to trip, trip him up, you know, trying to catch him. And they're asking, well, who is my neighbor? I want to clarify all these point of orders. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We still use the phrase Good Samaritan today because it means something. Basically, again, the Jews and Samaritans, were, they were just enemies. You didn't mix. And so it was a Jew that was beaten up by robbers and left for dead. And a lot of other Jews passed the guy, and Jesus really adds color to the story because the three Jews that passed the Jewish guy were all religious guys. <laughs> Jesus was just ornery. <laughs> he was just always poking the button, right? Because he was breaking down something that prevented people from connecting with him. That's why. And it was a Samaritan that saw the Jew and said, hey, this guy's broken and hurting. I'm going to help him. I'm going to put him in a hotel, have him taken care of, and cover all the expenses. That's where the Good Samaritan phrase comes from. He helped someone that was really not his neighbor, but Jesus was making a point by saying, anyone and everyone is your neighbor. That's what outward worship looks like. When we share what Jesus has done for us, that's outward worship. When we love on people that are unlovable, that's outward worship. Inward worship is how our heart is. Outward worship is how we project to other people. Does that make sense? It's not very complicated, right? Are you tracking? I'm getting some nods. Good. Amazing. The third and last is upward worship. And this is the kind of worship that's expressed love and adoration to God. We just got through doing our worship set. <laughs> and in that moment, we sang, we lifted our hands. Whatever you did, that was a moment that we were just focusing on God and we were worshiping him outwardly. It's what we do in church. It's upward worship. It's also what you do in your private time of prayer. If you're driving along and a worship song comes on the radio and you just start singing along and you're at that moment, right? That moment when you feel like, hey, hey, God just showed up in my car and we're just going to have a conversation while I'm sipping my coffee on my way to work. And you just, you, right? You get out of your car like, ha, ah. right? That's worship. That is upward worship. That's when it's just you connecting with your creator on that. Nobody can mess that up. It's yours. It's very personal. It's very real. And I think one of my favorite passages or stories in the Bible, I think, that sort of explains this upward worship in the face of adversity is a story about a lady who was not a Jew, and therefore she was not you know, legally accepted into all the religious practice, but she was still a person. 
And she had a daughter. The Bible says she was vexed of a devil. She was tormented. She was, she was just an uncontrollable, unconsolable, very ill child. And this poor mother was distraught. And then she heard about Jesus and heard that he can perform miracles and heal. So she goes to find Jesus. And Jesus is going somewhere with his disciples and all the crowds. And she's like, hey, hey, I need to talk to Jesus. Hey, disciple John, can I talk to Jesus? No, go away. We're busy. We're doing churchy things. We're doing good things. So don't bother us, right? And she just, the Bible says she just persisted. She kept on, and Jesus was using this to paint another picture and to tell another story and to reveal another truth. So she keeps bugging and bugging and bugging. Finally, the disciples are like, Jesus, she's driving us crazy. Make her go away. And so Jesus then turns around and looks at the woman. And instead of, you know, this is mind-blowing. Instead of addressing her need... Jesus goes right into, again, the separation and the segregation and the, 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 the haves and have-nots and the accepted and the, the not accepted, all, the rejected, all these, these different things that he was breaking down. He looks at her and says, you know, um, I'm paraphrasing, you know, you, you really aren't one of the chosen ones, so I really, why should I help you? And like, she doesn't stop. In fact, Jesus said, he uses a scenario of the kids eating from the table and why would the master take the food from the kids and give it to a dog so he kind of like sideways called her a dog it's like hardcore and she just doesn't stop she's like that's true master but but sometimes crumbs fall from the master's table and the dog gets to lick it up right she like doesn't care and then what's beautiful in verse 25 it says she came and knelt before him in the living bible it says she came and worshiped him how many of us would have heard the first phrase and been like you know what need your help anyway. We'll figure this out on my own. You're going to be all dog and stuff. I got your dog stuff. <laughs> right? But that didn't matter because upward worship was something that was just coming from in here. Her need was driving her. When we get to the point where our hunger for God drives us, then it doesn't really matter what's coming at us. We just know the posture of worship doesn't really matter what opposition. I mean, how many times do you feel like, well, God's letting this stuff happen to me, so I'm a little mad at him right now, so lucky if you get worship on Sunday. <laughs> like me in worship service when I'm mad at God. <laughs> right? These hands ain't coming out of their pocket. They're not going up. But her worship wasn't dictated by surroundings or what people thought of her. She didn't even care about the rules of engagement from the religious world of her day. She had true upward worship. Doesn't matter if I'm in a storm, I'm worshiping. Doesn't matter if people are hating on me, I'm worshiping. Doesn't matter because I know my creator and I've got this upward worship that's just coming out of me. I'm telling you, there's, a, there's significance to worship. Inward, outward, and upward. Worship is not just an action, it's our calling. The truth is, when 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 God created man for the first time, when Adam was formed, when Eve was formed, the Bible tells us that God would come into the garden and just commune with them. I like the word commune, right? Because it sounds very, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound plastic. It sounds very intimate. It, it sounds like we're sitting around a table and we're just talking about how our day was, right? Commune sounds like we're just, we're just completely relaxed. We're just completely open. There's no, there's no protective masks. There's no projected image. It's just me and someone else. And that's how God designed us to be, to just worship 
him in the setting where he visits we just sit with him and inward outward upward all of that stuff is just flowing out of us that's how we were created but sin screwed it all up it broke it it separated it now when we come to god we think we have to come to god with all these protections up like we have to convince him we're good enough to talk to him we have to act a certain way before he'll look at us we have to be a certain kind of person before he'll pay any attention to us but that's not what jesus is saying is it he's saying i don't care who you are where you came from what your last name is if you come to me with a heart of worship i'm right there because the most important commandment is this love the one god and do it with everything that you've got every part of you not just the church part every part of you so we're created for this. But here's the thing. Because, because sin broke that, it left an emptiness in us. And that emptiness is always looking to be filled. Can I get an amen? <laughs> always trying to fill this hole. We use all kinds of things to fill that hole. We turn to all manner of things to try to fill that hole because there is only one thing that can fill it and that is Jesus Christ and that is a relationship that you have with him because we're created to need that. Yes. We're built for it. We're designed for it. And the world and the sin just cheapens it, offers us cheap alternatives and we just gobble it up. Here's the thing. What we give our time and attention to is a form of worship. And let me just tell you something, it's not always bad things. I'm not talking about sinful actions. I'm talking about things like family. Oops, what? Can that really? Yes, it can happen. Pastor Scott taught a series last year about our number one being God and our number two being our spouse and then everything else falls down from there, right? So sometimes that can get flipped upside down. And sometimes God becomes second fiddle to our family because it's what we love and we value and our time and attention is poured into that to the point where we just push everything else aside. Sometimes it's sports. I won't say anything about March Madness because it might offend Pastor Scott, but March Madness is a real thing. <laughs> it consumes our time, our attention. Social media, dude. And it, the funny thing is it, we can't just categorize it in certain people groups. It's all of us. Yeah. We're all like just, we get sucked right in. You know, we can't, can't really help ourselves, right? All of our time, attention. Things that we love with all of our hearts. When our heart and our love for God is replaced by other things. Again, not always bad things. Sometimes it's just things that fill us up. Sometimes our career gets so much of us that there's no, there's no heart left for God. Oh, I'll hit him on Sunday, right? right? When I'm thinking about it. But that's not a heart of worship, is it? Hobbies can, can, can chew up that, that space in our heart. All, another person can chew up that space. What consumes our minds? Here's the deal. Whenever we're faced with a critical life decision, things are coming and we got to make some decisions. When God is like fourth or fifth on the ask list, our, our priorities are shifted, right? Our priorities are off. We go through these series of things and we're like, okay, I think my decision, oh, I didn't pray. Lord, uh, I've already made my decision, but I, I hope it's the one you want, so bless it. <laughs> right? Yeah. We don't quite pray that way, but that's really what happened. <laughs> that's because things consume our mind and, and, and worship starts to shift. And our priority has started to shift. And our mind is consumed with other things. What we devote our strength to 
You know, our lives are spent, our days are filled with activities and busyness, and, and most all of it is justifiable and necessary. But when all those things consume us to the point where it's all centric around us, listen, I don't go to work for anybody else but me, <laughs> right? Let's be honest. <laughs> right? I go because at the end of two weeks, there'll be some digits that'll show up in my bank account. And it's very motivating to go back the next week. <laughs> Because if I don't go back, those digits don't show up. And then I have a problem because things I like cost digits. <laughs> right? So work is, is about me, really. It's my duty. It's my responsibility. And it's, yes, it's good. And Bible talks about being a good steward and a good diligent worker and, and a good worker's worth is pay and all that stuff. So I'm not saying that's wrong. But that can get flipped out upside down and then it becomes our focus and our priority. And then, then when it's time to serve our neighbor, we're just too busy and too tired. Whoops. Right? Worship. Right? When, when we need to have a work day at church and, man, I just had a busy. <laughs> yeah. I'll catch y'all next time. Y'all send me the schedule next time. <laughs> right? And we, we, we do. I mean, we have a dream team around here. And, and the dream team, they're serving every week. And the parking lot was very confused today because there were two Rosses and we didn't know what to do with that. Right? It was very confusing. But there are people that serve there. There are people that serve, uh, I mean, we got people serving right now in various spaces in this building. And they do it, the, the paychecks really are not that big around here. Oh, <laughs> they aren't any. <laughs> it's called volunteering. <laughs> But these people that do this, upstairs, there's someone watching. If you have a kid, someone is taking care of them. Someone's loving on them. Someone's showing them appreciation. Someone's hugging them. Someone's, someone's picking bubblegum out of their hair. No, that didn't really happen. Uh, all these things are happening because people realize that part of worship is where I'm giving myself what I'm giving myself to. It's so it's, it, if, if we've reached a point where all of our busyness has left no room for us to give, to something that is not our own or give to someone that we will have no return of investment on, that's where worship comes up. That's where loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength comes from. And if you've reached a place where there's no margin in your life to give back, then I'm telling you it's time to look at priorities because worship is not living healthily inside of you because it's not just what we do when the band is playing that's worship, is it? It's everything we do all the time, inward, outward, and upward. It's how we live our life. Worship team, you guys can come. It's how we live our life. This is just the, this is just the foundation for where we're going the next few weeks. We're going to dig in here, and the reason why we're going to dig in here is because it's important. Jesus said the greatest commandment is loving him completely and loving people. So we're spending time on what that looks like. And if I don't understand what worship is, I'm not going to know how to express my love to Jesus, am I? If I don't understand that worship affects every part of who I am, then I won't know when I'm off track. I won't know when my priorities have flipped a little bit. I won't know when I'm off balance a little bit. I won't realize that the reason why I can't serve and volunteer and give back to my community and to other people and to my neighbor is because I'm consumed with myself, right? And that's not right. Let me tell you something. There's nothing greater then when you are living your life, you have the blessings you need and you're giving and you're showing and you're paying forward and you're loving forward and you're giving to other people. There is something refreshing that comes to you that gives you strength that you have no idea was even there because we're created that way. In fact, let's rewind to the beginning. The story about Jesus talking to the lady at the well. He had sent the disciples to go get some food. 
the reality is he sent them away so that he could have a conversation with a woman that he should not have been speaking to because he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. So he got them out of the way because he knew they couldn't figure it out. And he said, go get lunch. So he has this big conversation. Amazing moment. This woman's life has changed. They get back. We have McDonald's. We're good. Here's food. And he looks at them and says, you know what? I'm not even hungry anymore. What did you eat? Nope. I have food that you guys don't even know about. That's what abundant life looks like. When you realize, man, I just worked my week. I served on the weekend. I helped my neighbor. And you know what? It's Saturday and I'm tired, but man, I feel good. Come on, that's got to be resonating with somebody in here. Because God backfills when we pour out. It's a principle. When we talk about giving, it's financial, it's time, it's talent, it's everything, it's worship, it's who we are. And when we give that to God, He blesses it. And we reap the benefit because we're living a life that's filled with abundance. You can't measure peace right? Can't measure contentment. You just know it when you got it. And you know it when you don't. Because your stomach's bothering you, you're stressed out, you got headaches, you're not feeling good, it's taking its toll on your body. Listen, stress is a, is a destroyer of our physical body. And these things are byproducts of not being in alignment. It's pretty good stuff. It's worship. It's worship. Let's stand together. What would it look like if we, if we decided, you know, to shift the gears a bit? And you're not overthink this thing. Just simply look at it for what it is. Am I really loving God in all the areas of my life? What does that look like? Well, it looks pretty simple, I think. It's be a person of integrity, have good character, inward. You know, don't do things or do things just because someone's watching. But don't do things or do things because, you know, that your heart of worship is beating to his and you know it would not make him happy. And outward, if somebody has a need, just pitch in, help them out. Love on somebody. Just share your story with somebody. Let them know that there's a God that works in us, that loves us, that changes us. And if they're freaked out by religion, tell them you are too. I am. I can't do it. I'm not good enough to do it. I will never be good enough to do it. But i tell you what I have learned. If I fall in his arms, it really doesn't matter what my struggle is. He's got me. He's just got me. That's outward. And then because of the inward <laughs> and because of the outward, I can't help but the upward. Right? When I look at my life and I realize what God has done in me, through me, around me, for me, by me, over me, under me, all those prepositional phrases to me, I realize it's easy to love him. Even when I get frustrated with the way he does things, it doesn't matter because I know that he's always working things out. He's always got me. He's always got me. What would happen if it's less about action and more about just who we are? What if it's, it's less about things I do and just more about how I am being? What if that's who I become? What if that is what worship looks like to me? I will tell you what will be a result. The result will be there will be something radiating from you that will draw people to Him. Then we'll have to have a fourth service. It's all about helping people find Him because He 
changes everything. He changes everything. It doesn't matter how bad. It doesn't matter how good. He just changes everything. And when you fall in love with him, friend, everything changes. Does that mean my life is perfect? Well, quite contrary. It is not. But he always, always, always has me. Nothing can tame a God all-powerful. That says to me, I see this picture of me just struggling to do me, right? Just trying to be a light, trying to live right, trying to do what God's called me to do, trying to be a light in this world. And I see this God that's untamable that can tear down heaven and earth to make a path for you and for me. Come on. We underestimate the God that we serve and we have communion with can change our world. Father, thank you so much for your presence that is here today, for faith that is just lifted in this room. We serve a God that is untamable, all-powerful, and we can pull down heaven through our worship and our praise that upward praise to you in spite of the opposition, in spite of the odds in our life. We can praise you and worship you because you change not. You are forever and truly everlasting and strong on our behalf. We give you praise. We thank you for your great love for us. Bless each person here today. Give them an amazing week. Let their light shine. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being at Life Center with us. If you're a guest, stop by and let us meet you today. Thank you.